people. Well, orcas have no problems crossing the border here. It's not too far from where I am. But drivers seem to, especially American drivers, you know, the last long weekend of the summer is usually a busy time for cross-border travel. But the Canada Border Services Agency has even issued a warning this year about delays and long border crossing wait times. They're offering advice on how to prepare. But fewer Americans are making the journey this year by car. That despite the fact that the dollar is worth about $1.30 Canadian, so the exchange rate is good. StatsCan reports the number of road trips Americans made to this country over the past two months was down 45% compared to the same period back in 2019. So what's keeping them away? Probably a variety of reasons. Maybe it's inflation, high gas prices, and so on. But how much is the Arrive Can app part of the problem? Joining me now is Laurie Troutman. She's director of the Border Policy Research Institute at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. So I guess it's really not our imagination. There are fewer Americans specifically, but I think Canadians too, making that uh, making that cross-border trip these days. Yeah, the numbers have remained at around 50% of pre-pandemic volume. So we saw an uptick after Canada removed the testing requirement back in April. And um, it's climbed since then, but it really hasn't gone much higher than about half what it used to be. Which is because I was looking at a lot of the factors that usually play into this. So for instance, the exchange rate is still very good if you're American. um, And yet that hasn't seemed to to have made a difference this summer. Yeah, you know, typically we had see a pretty close relationship between the exchange rate and the volume of crossers. But I think we're in this new environment where that relationship and the value of the Canadian dollar especially is is not playing as prominent of a role in people's decision to cross the border. Why do you think that would be? I mean, obviously, in this country, we talk a lot about some of the issues, some of the things that we put in place, such as, you know, vaccine requirements, which obviously work both ways, but also our ArriveCan app, which can be another a barrier. A lot of has made a lot has been made about that. Uh, how do you see it? I see it as a, a couple different things. Um, I think we need to remember that we still have border restrictions. You know, we we didn't sort of remove the restrictions and revert to the same sorts of requirements that we had before the pandemic. As you mentioned, um, Canadians and Americans crossing in either direction still have to be vaccinated. There's a fair number of Americans that aren't vaccinated. So those people obviously aren't going to be able to travel to Canada. Um, The ArriveCan app, which has received a lot of attention uh, for several months now, is still pretty problematic. And it's problematic for a couple of reasons. One is because, you know, while it may be pretty well known in Canada, it is not well known in the United States because there's no real public outreach effort around ArriveCan in the U.S. So I live in Bellingham, you know, about 30 kilometers from the border, and I run into friends and neighbors all the time who said, oh, you know, I'm going to go to Canada this weekend. I'm really excited. I haven't been there in a while. And I always say, have you filled out your ArriveCan? And, and most of the time they look at me and they say, ArriveCan, what is that? Um, so they're really not used to to using it. They're not aware of it. And you know, I think once you're used to it, it works. But but there's still some challenges around it as well. Yeah, I, I'm surprised in some ways because you know cross border traffic is the lifeblood of many communities right on the border. And, and you're right, we really haven't done, and there is no equivalent in the U.S. right now. So we haven't done. Canadians haven't done a lot of good outreach to try to explain that th- how this thing works. Yeah, and I think that's been a real challenge emerging from the pandemic is Canada has their requirements, the U.S. has their, and there is no single place where a traveler who's crossing the border in both directions 
can go and find the information about what is required in both directions because each gov government sort of you know sticks to their own. Um, it must be having an impact. I mean, I know you're right on the border. Um, it must be having an impact on, on those communities that rely on this kind of traffic. And we're certainly hoping that it would come back quite quickly once a lot of these restrictions started to get lifted. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a bit of a relief just coming out of, of where we've been that, oh, at least, you know, the border is, is open again and people can cross. But something we saw, which I think was quite surprising in, in Whatcom County on the southern side of the border there is certain industries and locations like Blaine or Sumas or Linden that were next to the border were, were certainly hit hard. And certain businesses like the mail order services that a lot of Canadians take advantage of where they order, order things online and pick up their goods and bring them home, those really suffered. But if you look at the county overall, we saw an interesting trend where there was a lot more domestic tourism and, and also just domestic consumer spending. So for example, there was a big fear at the beginning of the border restrictions that uh, the sales tax base of, of the county or Bellingham would just be decimated by the lack of Canadians. And that really didn't happen. We saw it a little bit in certain categories where we know Canadians shop, but in a way that the domestic spending and the domestic tourism um, sort of made up for some of that. So, so it's not quite as bad as I think we anticipated it might be. And that's interesting because we're seeing the same thing in Canada. A lot of people are just yeah. staying home. I guess what's happened through the pandemic, and, and this goes back a while now, uh, I think sort of 9-11 would, would be the starting point, I would think, um, that the border has become a more difficult thing to factor in to a day trip, for instance, or a spontaneous journey, for instance, is now you really do have to take crossing the border into consideration in a way that perhaps, you know, people 30, 40 years ago could never even have imagined, but even 20 years ago might have had difficulty picturing. Yeah, and I think you could say that even two and a half years ago as well. Um, you know, we were coming out of the border restrictions in a new environment, and that doesn't just mean that there's new requirements. It also means that that the wait times and the volumes are sort of unpredictable, and so we've certainly seen that at our land border crossings between Western British Columbia and Western Washington State, where I've driven up on a Monday afternoon and there's been a two hour wait time, which was very strange um, and very unpredictable. So it makes, like you said, tr planning for that cross border travel really difficult. Because I imagine, and this is just anecdotal from my own experience, but a lot of that cross-border traffic that happens is done relatively spontaneously. It's not, it doesn't involve a huge amount of planning. It's basically, let's go to Canada this weekend. You know, why not? Let's try. And then you start to see some of the, some of the, the, the cons to making that journey. And perhaps you say, well, why don't we just stay, why don't we just stay in Washington state or stay in New York state or stay closer to home? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the unknown. Um, you know, it's really easy to say ArriveCan is a simple app. You download it, you submit your information, and that's true, but if you don't actually know what's required of you, it can feel like kind of a hurdle to submit that information. And so I think anything that makes it more difficult to cross the border, um, in, in the scholarly world, we say anything that thickens the border um, really does deter a lot of people from crossing, especially the ones that maybe weren't crossing often. You know, the people that have family, the people that have second homes, the people that are really keen to save some money on their gas and their dairy, those are the people that are still going across. But I think it's the people that had crossed less, be less before that are now sort of saying, eh, yeah, it's not worth it. 
Do you think this is something, I mean, we saw this trend. I remember after 9-11, a lot fewer, far fewer Canadians crossed the border uh, to do sort of day day shopping, that kind of stuff. I think we saw a bit of it the other way too. The thickening of the border, as you called it, we're seeing it again. Uh, Do you think this may lead to sort of a permanent change in how people view those sort of what used to be a very easy journey back and forth across that border? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the million dollar question that I'll be spending a lot of my time in the coming years uh, looking at, because on one hand, I I sort of feel like, well, I do think people will start crossing again. Um, But on the other hand, if if you look at the data, like you said, after 9-11, the volumes across the board of cross-border travel between the U.S. and Canada at the land borders has actually continued to decline over the last 20 years. So we are much lower volumes than we were 20 years ago. Now, one thing I would say to that is is our region is actually an exception. We actually do have numbers that are just a bit higher than they were prior to 9-11. And so there's a couple of reasons for that. I think population growth certainly plays a role. I think we have really good cross-border networks in our region. You know, we were the, the birth of the Nexus Trusted Traveler programs and the Enhanced Driver's License. So there is a lot of work dedicated to fostering that cross-border collaboration and the movement across the border, which I think does make a difference. And certainly one of the few areas where two really big cities, Seattle and Vancouver, are so close together, right? Yes, absolutely. And and we're seeing a lot more connection between Seattle and Vancouver with Microsoft and Amazon and other companies really straddling the border and having an increasing number of employees in both Vancouver and Seattle. Are there ways, do you think, that uh, both sides, both the American and Canadian governments, and I'm sure both provincial and state governments and the federal governments on both sides of the border are talking about this. Are there things that could be done to try to make that, uh, to try to bring back some of that travel, to try to ease those concerns from uh, specifically from those wanting to drive across for a day trip or a weekend, for instance? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, we could look at at actual border management policies that might make sort of a more seamless cross-border system possible. Um, There will be, I believe, a pilot project in our region using an e-gate where you can scan your Nexus card and the gate opens um, and you only talk to an officer in the booth if if there's sort of a reason to. So there's lots of technical kind of tech-oriented policies we could put in at the border that would make it smoother. But I honestly think equally as important to that is the communication and the relationships between people and government and sort of networks of cross-border collaboration. The more we talk to each other, the more we collaborate, I think the smoother or perhaps the thinner that border can become. Is there any impact of just the overall conversation in America about borders, period, specifically the southern border? Has that had an impact at all on how Americans view the northern border? Yeah, that's an interesting question, because in some ways, um, I think the Canadian border is, is a bit immune from the politics of the Mexican border because the same challenges just aren't there. So there is a really different relationship between the countries, and that does play out at the border. But at the same time, um, you know, the U.S. tends to do the same thing on its southern border that it does on the northern border. So to a certain extent, you know, the border restrictions between the U.S. and Canada really were very similar to the border restrictions between the U.S. and Mexico. So um, I think it's a pretty complicated dynamic that often gets really tied up in politics, which is unfortunate for you know, those of us who live in the borderland communities. 
Yeah, because I mean, clearly we like each other, right? We're neighbors. We've been good neighbors for a very long time. It would be a shame to see people not be able to take advantage of just learning about each other because they're worried about crossing the border. Absolutely. And I think of it as sort of a a form of soft diplomacy. Um, The more we visit each other's communities, shop in each other's stores, um, maybe you have kids or grandkids or a spouse on the other side, that really does make kind of a social fabric that spans the border. And, and I think it's um, it's really important to have good relations with your neighbors. So what will you be looking for in the coming year or so as far as, uh, you know, stats or, or trends that will really be of interest to you? Yeah, well, certainly, um, certainly the volumes. Um, we'll be very interested to see what happens with ArriveCAN. I think there is a potential to turn that into a tool that can facilitate cross-border travel. But if it remains a mandated requirement, I do think it will suppress travel. So we'll be watching what happens with that. Um, There's a possibility that the U.S. could take a similar approach that allows people to submit their information in advance, and maybe that enables them to move through the border more quickly. I think that would be optional, though. I don't think that would be mandatory. So I I guess I'd say um, coming out of this kind of crisis, there is an opportunity to do better at the border. So I'll be looking to see what the governments are able to to put in place, and hopefully they're able to do that collaboratively. And certainly, I, I gather just from what you're saying, we need to do some outreach. If we're going to keep ArriveCAN in place, we're going to need to do some outreach in border communities to explain how it works and why people shouldn't be afraid of it. Yes, and, and it needs to be fine-tuned because right now, if you're a, an American taking a day trip across the border into Canada, you still have to put in the place where you're going to quarantine. And if you're just you know, coming up to Vancouver to go to dinner and go home, that information doesn't exist. So, so the app really needs to, to listen to people on the ground and, and be updated and revised accordingly. Lori Trevin, thank you so much. You're welcome. 911. 911. What's your emergency? Ah, there is an explosion! Oh my God, the ship is sinking! I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry, hurry! Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way.